Welcome to the Wiser Wealth Management Roundtable, where we believe the best financial advice should always be conflict-free. I'm your host, Casey Smith. Guiding you to financial freedom are my co-hosts, Brad Lyons, Matthews Barnett. Good morning, Casey. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Matthews. So today's segment, we're talking about how to build a portfolio. Where do we go to find information for this or... I guess most people today save through work, through their retirement plans. Quite often, that's the first time that a person has the opportunity to begin saving in an investment portfolio for their future in a 401k or 403b or 457 type contribution plan. You have the ability to begin creating an investment portfolio for yourself with the first dollar you put in. So it behooves the investor to have some idea of how they want to construct that investment portfolio to achieve the objectives they've set out for themselves. People used to live off their Social Security and pensions, and then that risk was kind of transferred to the employee on planning. The 401k actually wasn't introduced until 1978, and then eventually the Roth 401k in 2006. It's kind of a fairly new process, but I think the employee needs to know that it's an ongoing process that they need to plan throughout the year out of their paycheck. So you're looking at your 401k, you've got 12 to 20 different investment options. Today, we have a little better rules that could be debated, obviously, that push you toward an investment. They give you like a default investment. So no one's just sitting in cash anymore. If you're looking at all your investment choices, what should I be thinking when I'm looking at that list? Well, like with any investment that someone would make, it's based upon your objective and your ability to understand the risks that are involved with investing. So each of the investments that you would find in your 401k fund lineup have a risk and return profile. And understanding what that profile is and how to construct a portfolio using that to achieve your objectives is the number one thing that someone should consider. And we can get into that a little bit later. A lot of the portfolios now, that, like you mentioned, Casey, kind of the default these days are the, the target date funds. Those are really managed accounts based on kind of your time horizon to retirement. So if you're a younger person in the workforce, they might be invested a little more aggressively with more allocation towards stocks and bonds. And then uh, when you're closer to retirement, a little more conservative, kind of a, a mixture of stocks and bonds. So maybe that's the shortcut for today's segment. If I have no idea what to do, I'm just going to buy something called a target date fund. And how do I choose which fund? I'm looking at a list and they've all got different years on them. The year that's listed along with a target date fund is based upon the year you expect to retire. So that fund, if you're planning on retiring in 2025, is based on the objective of achieving your retirement date in 2025, and the portfolio has adjusted to a mix of stocks and bonds that are appropriate for a retiree beginning in 2025. So that's an easy way to shortcut the investment choices is pick a target date fund with my retirement year. Now, that seems to make sense to me when I'm just getting started. I have zero dollars, but let's say I'm a little older and I've got a half million or a million dollars in my 401k plan. Do I still just put it into a target date fund? Probably not. And the reason is, is that you have no control of how that target date fund is investing your money. 
And as you get closer to retirement, and if you've accumulated dollars outside of your 401k, the 401k simply becomes part of your overall portfolio and should be coordinated with any other assets that you have that you're going to use in your retirement by utilizing the individual funds that are offered to an investor in the 401k. They can blend that portfolio in the 401k to match their overall investment objective with assets outside the the 401k. Yeah, I think normally target eight funds only have maybe four funds in them, you know, international stock fund, a U.S. stock fund, and then an international bond and an equity fund. I think the issue, though, is a lot of times people don't realize what they're invested in. A lot of those funds are tilted heavily towards international equities, and some people might not want to be invested or might be the best play at the time. I know they're almost, some of them looked at vanguards are about 50% in international equities. If I'm looking at these individual fund choices, what do I need to gravitate toward? Or how do I make sense of that list? Well, all the funds in a 401k lineup are chosen by trustees who are fiduciaries to those participants in a 401k plan. And they're chosen specifically to have a purpose within someone's investment lineup. So you would generally have a large cap equity fund, a mid cap equity fund, a small cap equity fund, might have an international fund, and then you'd have fixed income funds as well. Within those subcategories, there might be active funds, managed funds, there might be passively managed funds. And the idea being it's giving the investor enough of choices to fit their objectives, and yet not making the lineup so broad that it just simply confuses the investor. To answer the question, which one should you look at? You should look at all of them as a opportunity to create a fully diversified portfolio for yourself. And that portfolio should reflect the risk tolerance that you have as an investor, the time frame that you have as an investor, and what your objective is as an investor. So maybe the simple way to start off thinking of it is just between stocks and bonds. That's called your asset allocation. Okay. So if I'm 30 years old, do I want 50% bonds, 50% stock? Well, generally not. The younger we are, generally the more investments we want to have in equities because over the long term, equities have shown to produce a higher rate of return than bonds do. And as we get closer to retirement or the older we get, we may want to start shifting that relationship between the stocks and bonds or our asset allocation so that we become a little more conservative with the idea of having a predictable portfolio outcome at a certain point in time. So if we're going to build this in steps, maybe step one is pick a target date fund. As my portfolio gets larger, step two is, okay, I'm going to invest on my own inside the 401k plan and I want to allocate by stocks and bonds. So Traditionally, in a 401k plan, there really aren't that many fixed income or bond options, maybe a a broad index fund, a broad bond fund, and a stable asset, which means almost like cash on stable asset. So I've decided that I want to be aggressive. So I'm going to do 20% in bonds and I'll put 80% in stock. Can you walk me through how I should allocate an 80% stock allocation in just a normal allocation for stocks? Well, I think a great way to start would be looking at the different asset classes within the equities exposure in your portfolio. 
generally speaking, you're going to find a large cap company stock fund, a mid cap company stock fund, and a small cap company stock fund, along with international and perhaps emerging market. And you want to blend those together to create your stock investment portfolio. Then you start looking at the actual risk and return spectrum for each one of those asset classes. Given that all equities have risk involved with investing in them, some are going to have more risk and some are going to have less risk over the long term. You're going to want to have enough risk in order to have the returns that you need to achieve your objective, but without more risk than you need to achieve that same objective, because risk means volatility. And volatility means the ups and downs in the marketplace. You want to smooth out that ride, if you will, by creating a portfolio that has large caps, mid caps, small caps, international and emerging market exposures. The key is weighting those allocations in the portfolio to achieve your objective without taking more risk than you really need. And there are ways to do that. Yeah, that sounds complicated. You think there's a shortcut on percentages? Like how how much should I put in, you know, what is a large cap? Well, large cap is a term that's being used in the investment business by investors to say that is a large capitalized company. So capitalization comes from the number of outstanding shares times their market price equals their capitalization. So maybe the way to look at it is, well, large caps are similar to the Dow Jones or the S&P 500. Correct. Correct. So maybe that's kind of my core holding. And then these other asset classes, mid, small, international, emerging markets, those asset classes you talked about would be complements, but not the main part of the portfolio. That's right. And held in lesser percentages than you hold in the large cap. Gotcha. I think something we hadn't really addressed either. We've talked about stocks and bonds. A lot of times it's in those funds but they could be mutual funds. I think it's important too to look at the cost, maybe looking at expense ratios because there's a significant difference in the price ranges of uh, certain active managed funds versus a certain index or ETF funds as well. Very true. So an active fund means that there's a fund manager who's making decisions and buying and trading generally more. An index fund is, is just buying a group of stocks, large basket of stocks, uh, which generally has a much lower cost to it. So yeah, that's a very good point. We want to keep our costs as low as possible inside our portfolios when we're focused long-term. Yeah, you were talking about the younger investor. They might be 90% stock funds, and, and that could even be just a, a low-cost S&P 500 fund up until they've they've reached a certain asset level where they need a little more diversification. Yeah, and how do you know the difference between a mutual fund and a what you call an index fund when I look at the 401k plan? Well, index fund is pretty similar to mutual fund. It's a basket of securities. But how do I know what it's called? Would it just be index in the name? Quite often it's going to, Casey. It's going to reference the asset class and the index that it follows. So the S&P 500, which you talked about earlier, would be the S&P 500 index fund. So that's a good way to identify that. Okay. So target date funds are okay to get started with. And I probably want to build out my retirement account Going forward, we talk here about saving for retirement. Obviously, there's things you need to do prior to maxing out a 401k plan. One is obviously uh, limiting debt and trying to live below your means to build wealth. But let's say that I've managed to save well in my 401k and I'm ready to retire. Do I leave my, my 401k right where it is? I would say no. 
And the reason is 401k plans are designed to get you to retirement, not through retirement. And that's a good way of thinking of it. They're designed for you to accumulate the largest sum of money perhaps you'll, you've ever had and you'll ever have, but they're not designed to create a fully diversified portfolio with all the investment products and services that could come along with an account outside the 401k to help you pay out that stream of income that you're going to need in retirement. Because again, I'm going to say 401k accounts are designed to get you to retirement, not through retirement. Yeah, I, I feel like that after 401k, after you're done working, that's where really a financial advisor comes in to do his or her job really well. One, you should have had a plan building up to that point, but two, how you build a portfolio is so much different. Can you guys kind of walk me through how, in your minds, how you, uh, retirement portfolio is different than a 401k growth portfolio? Well, I think you need to go back to the point of a lot of clients we have have individual IRAs. They might have three or four different IRAs as well as their 401k. And they don't realize that they can combine those and, and roll over into an IRA. A lot of them have different cost structures that are overlapping in the way they're, they're invested too. So there's not really a plan for those assets. Some are gross, some are, are equity. I mean, it's, it just doesn't really blend together in a portfolio. The objective has changed. Your life has changed. As you move into retirement, your objective is to now have a stream of income that replaces your earned income. And the place that you're going to get that is from your investments, and as you mentioned, Social Security, a pension that you may have, plus the income stream from your investment portfolio. And so immediately, the purpose of the portfolio has changed from accumulation to payout. And it needs the products and services that a payout requires in order to meet that objective. And one of those objectives is cash reserves. Yes, it is. The reason is we've just experienced it. COVID-19 required the a shutdown of major businesses, huge portions of our economy. And the stock market reflected was reflected in that, the returns of that, I should say. Having a cash reserve inside your investment portfolio for retirement allowed an investor to take money from the cash reserve when stock prices were depressed, allowing them time to come back and then go back into a normal mode of payout. It also reduces anxiety because of that. Tremendously so. You know that you can go X number of years without ever having to sell a stock or bond and cover your monthly lifestyle. I'm going to have a lot of other things to do in retirement than think about whether or not I'm going to get a paycheck from my portfolio because I'm going to have it set up with a cash reserve in it. Right. Okay. So we know that managing assets is a little different in retirement or actually a lot different. A lot of us are fortunate enough that we can save assets or we have liquidation events or money events. We have money outside of retirement accounts. Referred to as a windfall. A windfall. Yes. So how are those portfolios managed differently than maybe a retirement portfolio? They may be more objective oriented for specific use. If it's an inheritance or the sale of a business where the money comes in as a cash deposit, perhaps, then they're initially invested given a specific objective. That objective may be the same as the 401k, retirement income, okay? or it may be something else. But again, it always goes back to the objective. And given the objective, 
determines the risk that you should take in the portfolio to achieve that objective. Yeah, and I think sometimes the funds change a little bit too. Maybe having a using some municipal type bonds to have less tax because you're more focused on income is taxable in a non qualified account. I think you're right. Taxes so, are always a consideration. So how how you build a portfolio should be a little bit different inside of traditional brokerage account versus anything that's protected under the retirement guidelines. And also, if you have choices, pulling from an IRA or pulling from an account that's not taxed, you can kind of blend the two or shift one or the other based on the current tax code. So right. knowing get, your marginal your, tax bracket becomes very important right. with drawing money from portfolios. Yeah, I think the tax diversification is not just about asset allocation, that more tax diversification retirement as well. What's interesting is, and thanks for allowing me to interview you guys, <laughs> <laughs> trying to act like I don't know anything about this is kind of fun. I see it this way. Asset allocation is very important, but generally what derails an investment is not always being allocated wrong. Any guesses as to what the number one derailment to a portfolio is? Brad. Behavior. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Vanguard came out recently saying the cost of not having a financial advisor is about 3% per year on a portfolio. I would believe that. Easily. And, and I thought, wow, that's really high. But then I start reading through their white paper and it makes sense because you referenced earlier, we have not written fully the COVID-19 rebound yet. We've had a pretty good rebound thus far, but we're not out of COVID yet. But I, I think about so many people that liquidated their accounts, not at my firm, not at our firm, but on, on the retail side. I was talking to a gentleman who operates a large, what they call them robos. This is an automated investment platform, no advisor attached to it. It's all self-driven. They also have an institutional side where advisors are a part of the process. On the retail side, they said it was complete mayhem. People were liquidating left and right. On the advisor side, almost no movement. So if you think about where we are today, the market dropped over 30%. They got out near the bottom or on the way to the bottom. Now we've rebounded almost back to break even on a diversified portfolio. And those people haven't jumped back in yet. It's, it's market timing. They're not going to market time it correctly. <laughs> so that would require getting out at the perfect time and getting into the market at the perfect time. I think that was all over the news about should I go to cash and clients worrying about should they get out of the market or go to cash. And that would have been what, March 23rd, right before then, that week, everybody was starting to freak out a little bit. And then here we have this rebound and S&P is positive for the year. So as long as you held tight and didn't let your emotions get in the way, you could kind of recoup those losses. But it also, and this was a quick, this was a quick one. This was right. down and back up and within a quarter of, of when COVID really shut everything down. You go back to other quick drops that we've had. People have started to do the same thing, but sometimes it's happened so fast that they couldn't even react to it, right? They didn't get the statement yet. So the market rebounded. So they kind of missed those opportunities to hurt themselves. The financial crisis, I remember growing this firm through that time period, about 2011, I started meeting people or people started finding us that had a half million dollars they needed to invest. But in 2009, it was over a million. 
So in March of 2009, which is kind of the low period of the financial crisis, they liquidated and they missed the run all the way back up. And it's human nature. It's not like these people are not intelligent or haven't been successful in areas of their lives. It's just human behavior that fear is a motivator. That's true. And the term that's used in the investment business is capitulation. It happens for most individual investors at the bottom. When they finally, they throw up their hands, they capitulate, and they say, I'm done. And they sell their investment portfolio. And they, to themselves, they take a deep sigh of relief, but then they don't act again. They don't then begin to see the effects of the stock market being a futures discount marketplace, projecting the events of the future, and stock prices begin to rise, and they miss out on that. It's been said that the only way to make money in the stock market is to be invested at the bottom. You don't get make money by being invested at the top. You make money by being invested at the bottom so that you get that full effect of the rise in the market prices from the bottom to the next top. We're talking about fear, but it's kind of the other side as well. At the top, when people get greedy, fear and greed, it's, it's kind of an investment cycles. A lot of people may have stuck it out, but then they've gone all in at the top because the market's had a, a long run. And that's not really the way you want to invest either. You kind of want to have a, your individual mindset of dollar cost averaging throughout the market throughout the year and not just getting in when, it, when stocks look high. We do that in our 401k plans. Every paycheck, as long as we're working, as long as we're getting a paycheck, we're, we're putting that money into the 401k, or it should be. So that automatically happens that way. Right. You were able to get in yeah. in March when the market was, you got a better value when the market was down in March, and then now it's crept up. You're still investing, but you haven't had the time. Those dollars. peaks and valleys. Those dollars put in in March have a good rate of return on them, right? They do. They do. Find companies on sale. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. I think ultimately, though, our focus has to be long-term. We can't control things in the short-term. So was it William Bernstein that said, in the short-term, the stock market is a voting machine, but in the long-term, it's a weighing machine. So ourselves and how we communicate to clients needs to be all built on the approach that we're not investing for next month or next quarter or next year. We're investing for the rest of your life but we should have at least a 10-year focus on how we build portfolios and which asset classes that we that we choose. If you have that approach, investing gets a lot cheaper and there's a lot of anxiety comes out of it because you know that you're invested in what I call or what we call long-term healthy asset classes. It was the S&P 500 or the mid or small caps. Are they going to lose money at times? Yes, they will, but they've always made money. It's being very intentional with our decision-making as an investor to have the intent to remain invested through the ups and downs, to have the intent to participate in all the different asset classes, returns, some of which are doing better now, some of those being will do better in the future. But it's building those positions and allowing the market, the natural forces of the marketplace to occur and that you will get those returns over the long period. I think it's important to understand, too, that it's not just about the investment dollars. It's kind of what are the purpose of those dollars? How does it fit into your plan? It may be managed based on your time horizon, your risk, but they have a purpose and it it needs to be part of your overall financial plan. So to sum up, if we're just starting out investing, 
Maybe we let the target date funds run for us for a while as our portfolio gets larger. I'm going to build my own focused on those index funds inside my 401k plan or index funds in my brokerage account that have the lower cost. I'm going to favor probably more large caps, but I'm going to diversify and add a little bit of small and mid and international to my portfolio. Bonds, the aggregate bond is a good broad allocation to hold. And then when I get ready for retirement, I build my portfolio a little bit differently. Make sure I have enough cash reserves to pay my paycheck, as we call it. Pay that paycheck every single month for at least two years. Really, it's sort of the same asset classes, maybe a little different tilt. Maybe sometimes we tilt toward dividends or we tilt toward a technology aspect of the economy. But it's the same concept, low cost with the long-term focus. And then when the world goes crazy turn off the TV and go do something you like to do and not be selling out of fear. Stay invested. Know that it always works out, always has. I'm not willing to bet against it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a sound philosophy. All right, guys. Great segment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wiser Wealth Management Incorporated is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.